Hello and welcome to episode 14 of Risk and Reward, the golf podcast from Winning Edge Investments that aims to keep you on the right side of the punting ledger. My name's Rod Murray and I'm co-captain of this ship whose mission remains finding value in the golf betting markets as part of a long-term winning strategy. That probably makes me sound smarter than I am, and it's to be applauded that I in fact have nothing to do with the weekly selections presented other than to elicit them from my erstwhile co-host. And who is that keen student of the game, I hear you ask? Well, it's none other than 50-plus-year golf professional and lifelong punter John Evans. John used to be Australian, but's now been ensconced in New Zealand for so long, I'm not sure he hasn't become one of them. J.E., can you confirm your loyalty to the flag, or have we indeed lost you to our cousins across the ditch? Two flags. I'm a dual citizen, which means that I was born in Australia and can't stand for the Australian Parliament, and I wasn't born in New Zealand, but I can stand for the New Zealand Parliament. (laughs) And might I say, on behalf of all Australians, they're welcome to you in their parliament. The parliament, uh, the parliament would be all the better for me and that uh, and the girl from Tasmania. Uh, indeed, we'll we'll leave all that aside uh, for the moment. You do love it over there, don't you? And I don't blame you. It is a beautiful place, New Zealand, a fantastic country. It is, and uh, today I'm uh, doing this podcast from Chisholm Links. Uh, if not the best, certainly the second best links in New Zealand, and. Uh, I'm giving the pro a hand who used to be my apprentice. I'm looking after the shop, and nobody's here because it's about six degrees. Now, you will tell anybody who listened that this is the world's most underrated golf course, I think. Well, Tom Doak said it was the most underrated golf course in the South Island. I thought he was just, I thought he didn't cover enough territory. <laughs> He's being conservative, was he? Which is unlike Tom, so <laughs> there you go. Uh, yes, you've posted some fantastic pictures of Chisholm Links over time, and let's hope that that uh, comes to be all that it can be for the good of everybody in that community and for the golf world in general. We can't have too many great golf courses dotted around the world. Enough about that. We'll come to the betting in a moment, but first there's some admin. Winning Edge go to considerable expense, as you and I both know, Jay, to produce this podcast. It's only fair that we give their product a bit of a plug from time to time. Now, normally, that might make me a little uncomfortable, I'll be honest with you, but with the offer that Winning Edge has for this product, it's kind of hard to see a downside. First... There's a reward for those who listen to the podcast with a 25% discount off the cost of a subscription to the weekly golf newsletter. So instead of $150 a month, it costs you only $112.50. And as a podcaster, I endorse that JE. That's good for podcasting, good for winning edge. But here's the bit that regular listeners will know really intrigues me. There's a profit guarantee. If you sign up for three or 12 months, it means that there's nothing to lose and everything to win. The added bonus to that JE as a spectator is it puts the pressure squarely on you to get things right, which is a fantastic spectator sport. It's quite extraordinary, this winning edge deal, isn't it? Someone suggested to me that I should actually pay the subscribers, but I thought that was just <laughs> a wee bit over the top. But um, we, uh, we've backed our judgment, and so far we haven't had to pay out once. Uh, our subscribers all win regularly, and uh, obviously that's our intention. Um, we have had, a, I must say, a four- or five-week run where we haven't had a a big winning collect, um, but um, we'll fix that in the near future. The law of averages says that it can't continue, doesn't it, J.E.? I wouldn't like to be a fly on the wall at that meeting when they have to pay out the first profit guarantee. Gee, you'll get a phone call then. I'd love to be on that. Uh, Let's hope it doesn't come to that, certainly not this week. Head to the show notes for links on how to sign up for the the newsletter. Don't forget to enter the promo code GOLF25 to get that 25% discount off uh, the newsletter for the life of the subscription onto this week's betting. We've switched to a Wednesday timeline, J.E., because much of the golf's in Asia at the moment, and if we stuck to our normal programming on Thursday, 
most of the tournaments would have already started by the time we published, and that wouldn't make a lot of sense. Now, the downside of that is that it sometimes takes the markets a little bit longer. It's a bit thinner because uh, there's been less time for them to get established. I think that's what we may be facing this week. Would it be fair to say that, publishing on a Wednesday rather than a Thursday as we normally do? Certainly can't give us that 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 last minute. Uh, as, as, as people who, who, who bet at the races will understand, as you come down towards the wire, the prices and the longer price uh, runners, which is where we are, quite often drift out dramatically at the end. Mm. We can't take advantage of that, uh, having to fit the podcast in and in, in, and, and keep you aware of uh, what's happening. The subscribers to the newsletter get the newsletter at the usual time, nice and closer to the betting times. But for the podcast, we can't do it. I think that we better make that clear. It, well, in actual fact, I haven't sent my last bets out for the uh, oh. for subscribers, Steve, because uh, I'm, I'll, I'll do that tomorrow morning yeah. um, uh, very early, and uh, there'll be some longer price winners there. But... I have picked out some which are well over the odds, and they're the ones we'll talk about today. Uh, and this is just those where we're pretty much in that uh, Asian vein, uh, which we are for the uh, the men and the ladies. Yeah, so. PGA and PGA Tour are both in Asia this week, the ladies in China, I think, and the men in Japan. So let's start with the, the old PGA this week. Now, you mentioned last week, listeners will remember, or those who were listening, will remember that sometimes, particularly with the women's golf, the markets are very thin on Betfair, and sometimes it's better to take some fixed-price odds on one of the other agencies, Bet365, uh, we did last week, and it's the same again this week. That's, that is the case again this week, J.E.? Well, when I got my prices, here was the difference. Jennifer Kupcho, who we'll talk about shortly, she was 251 on Bet365 and a dollar two on Betfair. So I didn't think... <laughs> Too many people that want to take the dollar two. <laughs> it wouldn't, doesn't fit the creed of this podcast, does it? Looking for value betting, a dollar two. Goodness me. Well, they're all a dollar two because the market effectively, yeah. you know, the, 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 there's some hopeful people who think somebody doesn't understand it and they might get set of the dollar two. But the, the, so the market, in effect, hadn't gone up. Hasn't so started. in order to uh, to give you a – there's a couple of goodies on here uh, for both podcast being and subscribers, Steve, and I wanted to, to get them out uh, – prior to this because there's quite a, quite a couple of quite interesting bets which we'll talk about uh, no doubt right yeah, away. There is indeed. The other thing I wanted to mention was part of the point of the whole podcast is to educate people both about golf and Betfair and the way the Betfair system works and the one that you like to employ and I guess a part uh, one of the real keys to the way you do the betting when you do get one of your long priced uh, bets up there near the top of the leaderboard come Sunday afternoon that's when you can really make the money because then you can bet against them and it doesn't matter whether they win or don't win, you win. The problem with when the markets is as thin as they are, even if you manage to pick a longer price play, you don't get that that crush or lay market develop on the Sunday the way you'd like to see. No, certainly not with the ladies. Uh, where we, as you say, our big advantage on Betfair is being able to uh, arbitrage uh, going through the well. The tournaments being is running. Uh, but you quite often can't quite arbitrage correctly, even when the markets for the ladies are up, and and and, and that uh, you can do it in the majors. And we'll, you'll note when we get back to the first or the next major for the ladies that we will be back on Betfair. But mm-hmm. in the meantime, well, we're betting each way here with uh, with the ladies. So you you which is the win and five placings Top five the plate bet each way, yeah. at one quarter of the odds. So you're talking about pretty big odds for. Um, sure. Some of these people to finish in the top five, um, and we hope we'll get a winner there quickly today. But uh, but but anyway, um, 
So bet three six five, but just for the ladies. All the other bets are on Betfair. Oh. The, the markets, the markets are thin, uh, are uh, strong enough there to be able to uh, later arbitrage if necessary on on Betfair. Excellent. Let's talk about the ladies. Jennifer Cupcha, you already remembered her name. Already mentioned her name. She impressed so much at the start of the year as an amateur at the Augusta National Invitational, the first time women had played. High-profile competitive golf at Augusta National. She, of course, turned pro not long after. She's had a very steady introduction to her professional career. Just the fact that she's in this field tells you that she's played well during the year because these are limited fields in Asia. It's a reward for playing well earlier in the year on the LPJ. I think it's generally the top 60 or maybe 90 only get starts in Asia. So she's obviously been playing pretty well. $251 is very long odds for a player who surely, J.E., the law of averages says she almost must be due, must she not? Uh, she's too good yeah, well, to not win at some point. She, she's got one great advantage over quite a number of them in that if she gets a good start, then she'll compete right to the finish. Mm-hmm. Well, she showed that at, uh, at Augusta in that uh, major amateur tournament, How what a strong finish she was. And she's obviously a confidence player. And I, I she has had a couple of... Very, very good. I think she even finished second not, about five or six weeks ago. So I just thought she was one of the girls that was over the odds in the, amongst the the, uh, the contenders. Yeah. Now, of course, this is a bit of an unusual time. There's a somewhat mixed field. We've got a bunch of players off the Korean LPGA Tour who've gotten starts. And, of course, the Korean LPGA Tour might be one of the most competitive, most viewed, most commercially successful professional golf tours in the world that nobody knows anything about. J.E., we see players regularly. Sung Hyun Park springs to mind. So on you, uh, Say Young Kim. All of these players who have been very successful on the LPGA and won majors were multiple winners on the Korean LPGA Tour long before they headed to America. So it's a very big and very deep pool of talent, isn't it? But you've got to know who, who the players are to watch. And it's it's tough to get information. Well, but you've, you've picked a few and you've got one in there for podcast, Pete. Yeah, the um, I think uh, Jin, Jin Ko, too. The, uh, Jin the Young Ko, yes. I think she's I think so. six times she, a winner before she went to America. Hmm. Yeah, I think she, she came straight out of the uh, Korean tour. And there's also strength in the Japanese tour, as the British Open winner proved. And so these girls, they're they're hardened competitors, and I found this girl, her performances over the last uh, uh, ten weeks on the Korean tour is sort of five or six top tens. So I I thought this I put a couple of the other ones in, but this is the one I I picked out for a podcast. Pete Minji Park. At $351, fantastic record, twice second in the past five weeks on the Korean tour, which, as we've said, is a great proving ground. Uh, and we are finding that uh, on the U.S. tour, where the college players now, there's a narrow gap between them and uh, and winning on the PGA tour. The same is true for the Korean ladies tour. And so I've actually got three of them mentioned. Uh, in my subscriber Steve picks and Minji Park, it was the best of them at three hundred and fifty-one dollars. So that's why we put her in there. Yeah. It, it is a step up in class. There's no denying that, but it's not as big a step up in class as most would assume. I think that's the point, isn't it? Which is why you got the, this, this value to be had. These players are virtual unknowns to most. You've really got to be a keen follower of golf to have found the Korean LPGA site and be able to follow the results and 
and what's going on there. But the ladies in in Korea, the the, the top women golfers, they are superstars. Jay, they fly back into Korea. There's photographers from all the magazines and the newspapers waiting for them at the airport to come out. They have these impromptu press conferences. Golf is and women's golf is enormous in Korea. So, uh, but we see nothing, almost nothing of it. It's quite bizarre, isn't it? You've only got to see them when they roll up in their uh, shirts with the logos yeah. on them. They're all they're all paid up to the nines. So. Yeah. You know, they've, um, they've usually got four or five logos on their shirts, and that just shows you how, how important the Korean ladies' tour is to Korean uh, companies, uh, and big companies, uh, major financiers and uh, car companies and uh, uh, cosmetic companies are all getting and backing these young Korean players. And rightfully so, you only got to look at them, I, I guess, It'd be fair to say that of the top 50 players in the world, 25 of them would be Koreans. Oh, very much so. They're, yeah. And they're all coming out of this tour. So Minji Park is one. Obviously, if you back a winner and convert into a subscriber, you're going to get more than one. I wouldn't be at all surprised if one of these girls didn't pop up here. They're on. They're not far from their own dunghill. They're used to these kind of – the golf courses in China are similar to the courses in Korea. And, uh, in fact, half my picks are Koreans, yeah. young Koreans with, at long odds. The, the golf in Asia is very different in style and feel to what most of these players encounter on a weekly basis in America, isn't it? So they're the best players in the world, and they will adapt, but they won't be immediately in their comfort zone for the most part at a lot of these kind of courses. So there's a lot of factors to consider. when the Well, they've got to get used right. to the food too. You know, yeah. the American girls, it's, it's a, that's a complete cultural shock to them, whereas the Korean girls will be coming into a similar kind of yeah. cuisine. Yeah, indeed. Uh, enough about that. Get on uh, get on, on on those bets. I really like that pick there. I'll be watching that with great interest as the week unfolds. Let's head over to Japan, J.E., the US PGA Tour, the men, playing the Zozo Championship this week. Of course, we had the, the big skins game during the week, sort of a – a promotion or the, the, the start of the big week celebra- week-long celebration of golf in Japan, Tiger and Jason Day, Rory and Hideki Matsuyama. Did you catch any of that just before we talk about the Zozo Championship? I didn't see the, the Skins game. Uh, uh, somebody made a point on a podcast I listened to, I think it was possibly uh, Michael Clayton, that they probably pooled the money uh, and divided up it didn't seem to be a great deal of competition in that skins game to me, and a lot more communication than there'd been with their. But if it was their own hard earned, yeah, it was. So a, you know, it was a bit of a. It's an exhibition in a way, a paid exhibition, and uh, not something that I think uh, does the game a great deal of good. No, although there were big crowds there in Japan, it has to be said. And I'll be honest with you, Je, if they'd played that skins game here in Sydney, I'd have paid to go along and watch any time. Any time you get the chance to see the likes of McElroy Woods. Day and Matsuyama up close, you should jump on it. But it was very contrived, and I think that's the problem. These made-for-TV events, a bit like reality TV, as soon as you turn the camera on or as soon as you mic up the players, it's no longer reality because they know and they behave differently to what they would if they weren't mic'd up. So the the very thing you're looking to get, you don't get when it's like that. So uh, yeah. There was some interesting conversation. I, I, I did see a couple of snippets. I didn't watch it. As I said, I didn't yeah. watch it, but I did see a couple of snippets, and there was some interesting conversation. It wasn't it wasn't deep and meaningful, but it was interesting, yeah. and, uh, and that miking up would create the – if they forgot they were on the mic, you might have got some uh, – <laughs> Yeah, you might have got a couple of fines too right. from, the, <laughs> from the broadcast authorities. Golfers being miked up is just a recipe for bad language, which – I recall a couple of years ago, Tiger played an exhibition match against 
Rory in China, which was pay-per-view only online. And I don't know whether he didn't realise it or whether he just didn't care at the time. It was back in 2013, maybe. His language on the day was appalling and constant and very, very much all over the broadcast. So there you go. Enough about all that. Yeah, there was one. I did see and the pictures of the commentators. And I'd imagine that Jeff Ogilvy would have made an impression to those who watched the uh, for that reason alone, it might have been worth watching. But as I said, I didn't. I didn't watch it. No, look, I, I didn't feel Jeff was at his best. I'm probably. I'm guessing it's the first time he's done on calls commentary. There did seem to be some technical issues. I imagine that it would have been a crew of people from both Japan and the Golf Channel America. It would have been from a product. You've been in TV. You would understand this, Jay. That behind the scenes stuff is frantic at the best of times. Any sort of communication blips. And it really does show up. And there were quite a few times they tried to cross to Jeff and he couldn't hear them clearly. And So I don't know that we should judge him on the performance there. I don't know that he got the opportunity to do what he would have liked to have done. It was a, it was a bit disappointing, frankly. And yeah. I like yeah. Jeff. Jeff's a good course, guy and a very The, the on-course guy. commentator is a victim because he can't see the pictures. That's right. Uh, and, you know, the old adage that I was, that Peter Thompson said to me, he said, let the picture tell the story. Mm. Well, if you can't see the pictures, you're a bit of a victim. And then if your mic doesn't work or your sound man gets lost or, yeah. uh, you know, there's a million things can go wrong when you're on that ground position. Whereas when you're in the booth, the director is, is continually in your ear telling you what's happening and what which, which direction you should be going. It's a lot easier. Yeah. Commentating in the box is pretty simple stuff. It's really quite but an that, art form, the on-course commentary. I mean, you really it takes a special kind of person because you've got your ears are going crazy. They're telling you to call shots that you saw five minutes ago and they want you to call them as live because that's when they're showing the There's an awful lot goes on when you're out there on course. Full respect to anybody who does it. It really is a, a bit of a talent. I think the guy that does it best is um, is um, Wayne Riley. I think, I, think, I think he's found a way to be zany and interesting and different and no, non-cliche-driven and he 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 he's, he's made it into an art form. I listened to him at the uh, um, at, at Metropolitan in the World, the, Cup, the World Cup, and I I was walking around with Clates, and uh, I watched very carefully what because I, I I sort of knew Wayne when he was a kid, and I and I so I was quite interested to see his development. I haven't actually heard him a great deal on TV, but I was very impressed with the way he had structured a role for himself. In that role, it's not an easy role. To, it's not because you you don't know how many how many minutes or seconds you're going to have to speak, and they cut you off halfway through, which makes you look like a right prize idiot. Yeah. Um, but he he's he's made an art form out of it, and I think he's far and away the best of them. Yeah, I'm I'm a Jim McKay guy, Mickelson's old caddy. Uh, I think he's a fantastic. Oh, Bones. Yeah, Bones. He's a fantastic on course commentator. Well, he reads the thing about Bones is that he. It's his job. That's right. The on the on course commentator is Bones's job. That was his job as a caddy, and he did it exceptionally well for exactly. a long time. So, whereas a golf pro going into that role, it's not yeah. it's not his natural position. No. He's not he's not in the position uh, that the caddy is in. And so Bones is and Bones is understated. You don't know where he is. That's so right, that's right. quite impressive. But as I say, I still find from an entertainment perspective, radars. Uh, Radar's the, I think Radar's entertaining. I like him. If uh, if we've got any listeners in the UK, they'd be familiar with me because his work. We don't get the Sky Sports feed down here for much of the golf that we see. 
I don't think. Or maybe we do these days. I'm no, sure. not very much. Not no, no, no. Because so I, get the Fox, I get that Foxtel too, so you don't get a great deal of it. But get, uh, as I say, I, I, I watched him very closely on half a dozen holes. And I, the way he went about it impressed me. He, he, he was – I mean, I did that job on and off for four or five years and uh, – uh, you know, it was very frustrating. It was not an easy task, and uh, he, he, but he handled it with a great deal of aplomb, I thought. Indeed, and a fabulous golfer in his own right uh, back in the day. One in the Australian Open, one up. One up oh, in, 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 uh, in fact, you know how they interview all these players on the course nowadays, mm. uh, particularly in Europe? Well, I interviewed him. He had a six-shot lead coming down the last at Titterangi, and, he, and he'd driven it on the fairway, you know, the, he could have pumped three drivers out of bounds from where he was, and he still wouldn't have lost the thing. And so I got castigated for interviewing on the course. Now, now they're interviewing him, you know, on the second tee. That's right. Well, quite often coming off the tenth or the eleventh. That Tim Barter does it. That is also that is not an easy job. And that Tim Barter, who does those on the European Tour coverage, he does a fabulous job of those. I think. Because yeah, no, he's very Tim Barter's very good. But, very good. but you know, now it's become uh, the norm. That's right. When I I think I was probably nearly the first person ever to do it. No, I got. You know, I said to the director, I said, I'm going to interview this bloke. He's leading by six shots. Can't lose. He said, oh, he won't talk to you, will he? I said, yeah, we'll spot. So I'd write out, do you want to have a chat? Oh, yeah. He said, I've never been this far in front. <laughs> he would have been up for it for sure, Radar. He loves to have a uh, have a joint. Generally speaking, I'm as a golf fan, my take is I feel like you don't get much of value generally. And the reason I think Tim Bart is good at what he does is because he handles a very sensitive situation extremely well. It wouldn't take much to say the wrong thing, upset a player at a, at a moment. He's quite often got blokes who've just come off a double bogey or a bogey on the previous hole. It's a, it's a sensitive thing to handle. He does a terrific job of that. But having said that, generally speaking, I'm not sure it adds much. Does it, J.E.? The players aren't. What well, the no. player's going to tell you? I just well, had a double I, bogey. I wish I, I think. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think it adds much when they do it, but, but it certainly added quite a bit when when I was doing it because the you know the people here was the winner mm. interviewing yeah, the yes, very much uh, right. with with with, a, with an eye under the green. You know, I did it. I did, in fact, I did it almost every tournament after that. Yeah. And uh, you know, I had uh, Nicky Price with a fifteen foot at a tie, and uh, at, at the Grange in the New Zealand Open, and I had uh, Grant Waite, who had uh, just hit his second shot on a par five on the green for two, and he had two putts to win from about 25 foot. And, and those people were quite happy to have a chat for five minutes yeah. walking down the fairway, and, and, and that was good TV, I yeah. think, it, it, different. Nice, Whereas, nice distraction for them. <laughs> it's the enemy of the golf, isn't it? Thought, thinking. When you're left to your own thoughts, that's when all sorts of crazy stuff starts to happen in the mind. It's not the hands that let you down, it's the mind. Most most people who don't understand golf uh, thought that it was an intrusion, but from the pro's perspective, he'd hit it on the green. Yep. It was the perfect situation. He didn't have he, he could he could concentrate on the questions and what answers he wanted to give, and it took his mind off the fact. And then he, as soon as I walked away, he's, he's forty five yards to the green. He walks on the green and he can focus on what he has to do. And and I and, and I, I think they actually liked it. Yeah. Players all they. Every one of them wanted to do it. Yeah. Sounds like for Wayne Riley there, Jay, he could have even let you hit his second shot and still won. So that tells you how big his lead was. At that stage, I'd have got it close. <laughs> he would have got it on the green. Uh, <laughs> indeed. Let's talk to let's talk about the Zozo Championship in Japan, the PGA Tour event there this week. Podcast Pete, you've got four selections for Podcast Pete this week and some interesting ones for subscribers, Steve. Let's start with three of the Japanese players, Yusuke Asagi, Tomoha. 
Tomo Haru Otsuki and Satoshi Kadara. Most people will have probably heard of Satoshi Kadara. He's played quite a bit internationally. The other two, not so much. So again, a bit like the Korean women's tour, you've really got to know where to go to look for information about the Japan tour players, don't you? Well, only 78 players. And there are five, uh, four or five Japanese players who are not regular uh, PJ tour players, but they are regular Japanese tour players. And to, to put you in the picture, um, Ryo Ishikawa was 101. Really? And these, these two guys had beaten him two out of the last three weeks, and, 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 their, and, and their record over the past uh, eight tournaments was, was impeccable. So they'd, uh, both of them, I think, had won, and then a couple of seconds. Wow. And uh, two Japanese were, were much shorter in the market than, um, than these two guys. So I thought, well, you know, these guys are beating those fellas. The, 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 there's the value. The, you know, not well known, but in form. So both uh, Jardy and uh, Tommy Otsuki, $1,000, uh, worth a punt. Yeah, and, uh, very much so. Uh, differently from Kadaira, who's who's a seasoned uh, US Tour veteran. He, he ran third at um, in Texas at the match play. Narrowly beaten, I think, by the ultimate winner. And, I think, uh, yes, I think you're right. I think, I think, in fact, I think he he was tied on the 18th tee with John Rahm. Yeah. And uh, and John Rahm lucked in. I thought the Kadira was unlucky. So um, that was and that was a very very good field. So mm-hmm. Kadira at seven hundred dollars in Japan mm. on golf courses that he would uh, know exceptionally well. I thought it was well over the odds. So, so there's my three Japanese, and there were there were two others. There's two others I think I've put in there into the picks as well. Both um, having uh, ex- excellent current form, mm-hmm. and then the final one is Max Homer, and I tipped Max last week, but there was some suggestion from Max, who's a bit of a card and you know, gets regularly on Twitter. He's worth a follow on Twitter because he's, he's he's got a he's 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 quite zany. But I, I got the distinct impression that Max had gone to the pub on the way to the airport. And I, <laughs> I thought, well, I'll That's put him in uh, and uh, hope that he can, you know, he, he's better under the weather. And it, as it turned out, he, 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 he did come out of the blocks with a piss and a roar, but he, he dropped back and that might have been tiredness. Uh, but I'm begging on this week that, uh, that Max will have had a... Uh, a dose of the sensibilities, and uh, because of last week's performance, he's drifted out to seven hundred and thirty bucks. So uh, he's probably realistically a two hundred to one chance. So, so I thought seven hundred and thirty was a bit over the odds. So, so there's my four picks for uh, the, Zo- the Zozo Championship in Japan, which does feature Tiger Woods, but he's extraordinarily short for the way he played in that skins game. He he, he scrubbed it round there. Well, the first three holes were appalling. He was about six over through the first three. Yeah, sort of no, see up at Mangrove. Man, the first skinny one, he hooked at 30 yards left of a par three green, and the other three all promptly hit it in the water. <laughs> That's how he won his first skin. So, uh, well, they all hit it in the water. They all hit it. Must yeah, have been it. All three it's of them. Just, Jason Day, Rory McIlroy, Hideki Matsuyama all stood on the same tee, watched the previous shot go in the water, and all followed. Yeah, no, well, you know what they've done. They've, they've, all, they've all felt sorry for him. Yeah, maybe. 
quite possibly. He's the elder statesman amongst them. Yeah. There was some decent ribbing. <laughs> with you need some money. That's right. You know, that's, I think it was a pretty reasonable thing to do, really. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, how would you have got by? I think the skins were about $10,000. I, I can't imagine that Tiger's got out of bed for anything less than about $1.2 million in the last 20 years. Yeah, to go anywhere. You, you don't get him out of a plane for, for, for a small sum of money. So anyway, so there they are. So yeah, Yosaki are. Ajati, $1,000. Tomohuru Atsuki, $1,000. Satoshi Kadaira at $700, and Maxi Ima, the humorist, $730. There's our four. So that's a couple of extra uh, subscriber, uh, podcast, podcast peak peak tips this week because I wanted to describe the Japanese. Uh, and, again, it's, a, it's not, a, not dissimilar to the uh, Korean ladies' uh, picture. They might be outclassed completely, we, we, and we won't know, but my feeling is that... Um, these tours are, are coming closer and closer together. Mm. That the that the uh, the Japanese tour people can hop from one or the other, and they can uh, they can be very competitive. So, we'll, we'll, but we'll find out this week. For excellent examples of the very purpose of this podcast and the golf newsletter itself at Winning Edge Investments, JE value bets. They're good value. You're not saying any of them are going to win, but just that they're more likely to win than the odds suggest. Uh, and that's what it's all about. For. It's all about the value. That's yeah. that's the key. And uh, and over time, uh, you know, that's that's how we can yep. we can keep producing. If you, know, if you know a bit golf. about golf, you can keep finding that value. That's it's, it's two two areas of expertise coming together. I think that that's what makes you ideal for it. Is that uh, you understand both. Uh, let's quickly move on to the Portuguese Masters, the European Tour event, actually playing somewhere near Europe this year, this week, which is nice. Uh, top 20 bets only this early. I imagine there'll be some more for subscribers, Steve, by the time you send out the newsletter tomorrow. But top 20 bets only for podcast, Pete. Two of the five that you've selected will be for our listeners. Dan Lawson, young Australian player. You had him in last week as well. Why? Yeah, Dan, last, Dan, Dan Lawson, who's, who's a very, very steady player, uh, player and continuously improving mm-hmm. and last week uh, hung in there for a, for a very strong finish and uh, I just think that, that he's on a very steady up upward movement and uh, I've got him in again now now is is uh, his form's not brilliant but you're talking about um, uh, four cuts made out of the last six tournaments. And uh, showing up and continually showing up and, and looking like he's going to improve. So we've got him in there at $14.50, the place, the, the top 20. And uh, I think it's only a matter of time before he wins one, this kid. He's and, going uh, to bob up, isn't he? That, he's that sort of player. He's going to bob up somewhere. And when he does, it, it shouldn't be a surprise to anybody who follows the game closely. Yeah, so Dan Wilson at $14.50 I thought was pretty good. And the other fella... Uh, that I've got in here, Bernd Rit- Ritthammer. Now, he ran ninth in this tournament two starts ago and had a second four starts ago uh, where he, he narrowly got beaten. I think he got beaten a shot. or might have even got beaten in the playoff, but I think he got beaten a shot. And uh, so here's Bernd Ritthammer at, uh, I think, $7.40, $7.40, I think it was. Now, be honest, Jay. Have you chosen him on form, or is it because he's got the best name in the field? Well, he hasn't got the best name. <laughs> Who's got the best name in the field? Oh, no, Felipe Bugamashi. No, oh. Felipe Bugamashi, but he hasn't made a cut for, since God was a schoolboy. So, so, no, no, Bernd Ritthammer. No, no, no. I, I watched him the, when he did run second, 
And I thought to myself, this kid's got ability. And then I, I, I had a look at his form on this course, and I see that he's uh, he finished ninth two starts ago. So, so uh, I've got him in there at uh, seven dollars forty the place, and I think he's got a he's got a big show. Yeah, indeed. That horses for courses thing it holds true in golf, doesn't it? We and and, and if you follow golf at all, if you ever looked at the stats behind golf, you see it every year. And I suppose the place we really see it is Augusta National and the Masters. There are some players who are just always in it for whatever Freddie. reason. The course sets Pretty up well for them. Like all, all of my tips this week uh, in the top 20 bets are all guys who have consistently performed well at in Portugal. Yep. That's that's been the ethos, and uh, and actually, it's it's been a system that I've been working on now for about four or five weeks, and um, and it is it is amazing how it continually comes up that the players who play well on on courses continue to do so. Yeah, it's uh, it's a funny. Thing. I, uh, uh, I'll plug some of my other work. I do another podcast for Golf Australia magazine down here called "The Thing About Golf." It's an interview show, long form interview show with all sorts of people from the golf industry. And the one that uh, we just dropped this month was Peter Lonard, uh, two-time Australian Open champion, a fantastic guy, a terrific storyteller. But he talked about Augusta National, and he's one who you would have thought his game, a very solid striker of the ball, can land it where he wants to most times, which is really kind of the key at Augusta. You got sort of small boxes to hit it in near the flags and get it close but he said the thing about Augusta that always tripped him up much as he practiced it he never liked putting up a hill over a crest and then the ball going down the other side and he said he had so many of those at Augusta National he could just never get comfortable at the place and hence never played well there so just a little thing like that for a player like him it was just that was his kryptonite uh, and because of that he I don't think he might have only made the cut once at Augusta in four or five appearances, which is a for a player of his ability was a poor record. I just thought that was a really interesting thing that he said uh, about that. So you can see how players have something about a course they don't like, or conversely, something they do like. They get comfortable there, give a good player comfort and confidence. They play well, don't they? Well, I think the interesting thing about what he said there is that here's a bloke who was a very, very good iron player. Um. And you'd have to say that, I mean, nobody likes those putts he's talking about. Who likes a putt that goes uphill and then downhill? You know, they're almost impossible to judge. And uh, um, But what that's saying is, is that he couldn't get the ball into the right part of the, the green. That he wanted, that's, right. and that's what they talk about. They yeah. talk about that in uh, all the players say, you've got to try and keep uh, under the hole at, um, at, at Augusta. And so... Obviously, perhaps he was playing too conservatively with his iron shots. It's yeah. the most interesting comment. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know whether you've listened to that interview yet, Jay. I think you'd really enjoy it, actually, Peter Lyon. Well, I'm waiting. I, I played with um, I played with him in the New South Wales Open at Concord, and at that stage, he probably weighed about nine and a half stone. Yeah, he was. His body. He had the Ross River fever, and his body completely changed after that. He was a yeah. He was. A I'd say kid. he was five foot ten and nine and a half stone yeah. when I played. He was a string bean. Yeah. I, you know, he, he was talented. He, he he wasn't. He hadn't. I don't think he'd been to to uh, Gary Edwin at that stage, and uh, but he was talented. But um, but he was not the player. I watched him when the Australian Masters at Huntingdale, and he really impressed me. I, you know, he he just hit frozen ropes under pressure. He was very impressive. He, he says in the interview that his great strength he always felt was that he knew he was never going to throw a tournament away with poor ball striking. He's so confident was he, and still is, in his striking, particularly with the irons, that he he almost never hits it somewhere where he's not looking. Uh, well, never, funny never thing is, the funny thing is, I stood directly behind him on the 18th at Huntingdale because it's a very demanding tee shot. If you leak one at uh, 
it runs off into the into the boonies and you've got to chip out and if you if you turn one over you're in the mounds and I thought this is going to test him. He was only one in front, and I, I, you know, you you get a a vis a mental vis, visual picture of certain things that you remember uh, in your life, and I can still remember the line of his driver on the backswing. He was pointing directly at the left hand bunker. I mean, this was just a thing of beauty, and he just hit the purest tee shot. And then the purest, I think he had a six iron for his second, the purest six iron to about 15 foot and two putted to win. But the, the, just the purity of that tee shot, I'll never forget. And a great bloke. What more could you ask for, J.E.? A great bloke on top of it. Well, nice fellow, yeah. yeah. He was he was even complimentary about my poor form at Concord. <laughs> Maybe too nice a bloke in some ways. Jay, just before we go, tell people how we went last week. I forgot to put you on the uh, on the spot earlier. How did we go last week? I think you had a couple of the top 20s got home. Can't we cut this off now? Yeah. No, no, no. We did. <laughs> oh, we no. Did, uh, Ryan Fox did keep his form. Uh, opened up with a good 65. Looked like he was going to be right there. Finished up tied for 18th with uh, six others. So we got f- uh, four sevenths. Well, three, no, sorry, three sevenths or three fifths. Three fifths we got of um, of his uh, four dollar price, which uh, suffered a small loss, and uh, we we got one uh, top twenty winner in the other event, and also a small loss. So a couple of small losses on our top twenty bets. We probably, as I've often said, we need two bets to make a profit, two winners to make a profit. We only got one in each of them last week. We did have a couple at big odds. That uh, that were very close up, and uh, and and both of them had bad last rounds. But it, uh, I still think I'm on the right track there. I do uh, too. I'll, I'll tell you the other thing, Jay. One of the things you want is that if you're in it, it's just more entertaining to watch the golf when you've got some. Yeah, you, know, you know that you're not going to win every week, obviously. But it's just when you when you know what's on the list, and you've had a look, and you're looking at the leaderboard on Sunday, or watching it on TV, and you know that. One of your seven or eight hundred dollar shots is <clears throat> up there within a couple of shots. It really does increase the interest in watching the play unfold, which I think is fantastic. Well, certainly the top twenty keeps you interested, even yeah. if your blokes can't win. That's which, right. You know, and quite often you get a runaway winner and you can't win. But yet I've been on bated breath. With in fact, I've been waiting for them to finish the last hole because you know if they bogey the last hole, they're out of the top twenty. Uh-huh. Quite often, and some, and uh, and I had, I tell you, the other guy was Jonathan Vegas. Now he shot eight under par to get into the top twenty last week. He was he was fifty third or something, shot eight under par sixty three, and finished up tied for fourteenth. So, so you know, there's it does the top twenty bets. You're not going to get rich on them, um, but they they tend to amortise our losses on over, over time on the uh, on the on the big deep price bets. Yep. But it's quite exciting, I must say. As uh, it's, it, it keeps me up until four in the morning, <laughs> waiting for that last shot, <laughs> and then back up again at five to watch the U.S. golf. So not much sleep on uh, Sunday nights for you, I'm guessing. Uh, well, and Monday, sorry, Monday mornings. Well, they're going through the, so those tournaments go through till sometimes one o'clock in the afternoon on a Monday. So I don't, I don't, uh, I don't go to work on a Monday. I just, I'm, I'm watching. I watch golf from sort of eight o'clock at night until. 12 o'clock the next but day. But you are working, Jay. You're working for Podcast Pete and subscriber Steve. So you might not be going to a job, but you are working. It's an honorary thing. It's yeah. an honorary thing. It's an honorary thing. 
Fantastic to have you along. Really enjoyed it again, Jay. Thanks for taking some time. Oh, no, thank you, Rod, again, and uh, and I, I'm really enjoying your other podcasts, uh, um, which have been great. The the good, good, and uh, the state of the game, uh, very, very impressive. Very kind of you to say so, Jay. And as with this podcast, that really relies on the talent you've got to work with. I mean, you can't run the thing from one side. So good podcasts require good guests, and you've been a good guest today. I'm sure all of our listeners agree. Uh, good luck with those bets, podcast, Pete, and subscribers, Steve. You get some more communications from JE, as you know, as the week unfolds and the golf is played. We, though, will be back again to do it all again next week here on Risk and Reward. <laughs>